Hello and welcome to the Horus Heretics episode 20. I'm William. I'm Neil. Uh, as you'll see, we're about to um, mess up our usual system of having a book over two episodes by just covering two of the short stories in Tales of Heresy, but I think it's the right decision. Do you agree, Neil? Because like getting through five stories in like an hour or so would just get confusing for all concerned. Uh, yes, and also I... I, uh, I we- <laughs> We apologise for breaking our our usual. I think cadence. it's really going to upset people. I, I, th- I think <laughs> so. I think in many ways that's what people like most about it. Uh, what we do, <laughs> regularity. <laughs> if nothing else, if, if nothing, if nothing else, it is a podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the whole numbering system is going to go completely out of whack. So you know. Oh my god. Um. There you go. Uh, I assume we'll do the next. There's three left, three stories left after this, and I think we can cover them in the one. Uh, we could, so. we could, we could do a, a Star Warsy type effort and or a Lord of the Rings effort and and make four episodes for those three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess but, we'll see. Maybe because, they'll but, be absolutely so rich with uh, ex- exactly exactly as if there's not enough of these fucking books to <laughs> to get through. <laughs> <laughs> you keep on pumping them out. <laughs> no, anything that just like just pushes the end date back is just, <laughs> just kind of saddening. <laughs> the date when we can escape from this ridiculous self-imposed task. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, um, did you? Uh, before we get on to discussing the stories, was there anything that we used to do a week in Warhammer, which doesn't even make sense because it's always two weeks? But anyway, did you, did you have anything? That well, you'd like to discuss? No, no, just about these these stories. So, um, I said last week that one of the things that's really um rewarding about reading collections of short stories is like identifying the unifying themes between them all, and that's okay. That's maybe not particularly difficult in a collection called Tales of Heresy. That's pre- it's pretty on the <laughs> nose, but there is there there are other ones. Um, to look at so i just thought like a short recap of uh, what we've seen so far might be useful before we talk about these two and then we'll do the same at the beginning of next episode so um in the first story we looked at last time was blood games by dan abnett which looked at the practices of the custodes and their policing of the human lords of terra and then the other one was Wolf at the Door by Mike Lee, and that looked at the interactions between a a legion uh, during warfare and the human forces of another planet not keen to join the uh, Imperium. So it's um, those two were were all sort of interactions between um, human human beings and Astartes and and the sort of disconnect between those two and i think those are sort of carried on those themes are carried on throughout here so i i think it's worth sort of identifying those now thinking about those and then going through these stories and then doing the same uh for the next episode and then talking about it all at the end okay good idea neil um something to appease the listeners who are very upset at us dividing the book into three podcasts rather than two, as we've as we've discussed. It'll, it'll, it'll make it all so much so much more worth it. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So that's a good point, though. Uh, so with that, we'll get into 
the first of the two stories for today, which was called Science of the Storm. And this was by Jonathan Reynolds. Anthony Reynolds, uh, I have written. Oh, shit. Here. Sorry. Right. Okay. Uh, this is a new guy to the Pantheon, is it? Uh, yes. I don't think we've had Reynolds, whatever his first name is, as of yet. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. And this story um, is about the word bearers, uh, who we quite enjoyed a first time round. They uh they they're the sermonizers, they're the ones who um in, inscribe shit onto their skins and are um what was the term? Was it needlessly <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember, but yeah, the, the the profundity of their message was just um pretty much their their entire gimmick. Um yeah. and they they have encountered an offshoot of humanity that uh, we've done we've done this before many times that have sort of um almost almost forgotten completely the existence of Terra. This group in particular um thought they were alone in the universe and that um Earth was a sort of a creation myth almost for their species that was uh, philosophical more than uh literal in their culture. So yeah, the the story starts um sort of in the midst of the word bearers fleet and the the kind of point of view for the story is uh, this captain called Sor Talgren uh, pr- prepare for some names listeners <laughs> <laughs> who uh, and we also quickly uh, are reacquainted with some uh, characters we've seen from before such as Cor Faron although he wasn't a major character but he was kind of in the background just grumbling and ranting away is how I imagine him um, and uh, a and of course, Warger, who's the the primarch of the word bearers, and Erebus as well, who is given oh, Erebus. Yeah, he's given a bit of a kicking in this, or not literally, I suppose, but um, he appears to be a, a Weasley arsehole. And yeah, and he's not really been depicted like that before. I I like that about this story. I think like that was his role before, but they they far more went into yeah, like committed to that in character terms. I think like yeah. before it was meant to be that he was just kind of. You know, um, it was almost meant to be a kind of a secret that he was a bad guy. But now that it's very uh, well known, um, they've kind of, the, in this story, gone more fully into the idea of portraying him as such. And it actually, in on that subject, uh, obviously, as I mentioned last time, I'm listening to the audiobooks, uh, audiobook of this, of these stories, and uh, the the voice for Erebus was brilliant. It was like a really hammy kind of like. I don't know, like sub Christopher Lee sort of, you know, like yeah. just really uh, full on kind of uh, Weasley, uh, creepy sounding. I, I I love that archetype. Um, <laughs> I, I can never get enough of the sort of the Weasley counselor, always sort of over the right hand shoulder of a king or something, you know, whispering in their ear. Yeah, um, yeah, and like maybe with their their fingers steepled together as they sort of uh, whisper <laughs> weaselly in someone's ear. Um, I yeah. like it. I want more of yeah. it. I can never get enough of it. Yeah. So, so the debate going on, or such as it is, when the story starts, is Corfaeron wants to just smash this planet up straight off the bat, and uh, Sor Talgron is like, no, uh, they're humans. You know, they we can just bring them into the fold. Yeah. peacefully which interestingly it also illustrates here that compared to other legions 
the word bearers have been better at that approach. Yeah. Um, and thus have been slower to conquer worlds than, or slower to bring worlds into the Imperium than other legions because of that, presumably. Yeah, I, taken. I, I really, I really dug that bit when they were saying that they're slower, but whenever they convert people, they convert them better than anyone else because they they know what conversion is basically um it's uh yeah it was a it was a really good start yeah so so sor talgren so yeah there's this kind of debate going on um Lorgar emerges from your classic month spent in an isolation chamber uh ruminating on the emperor telling him off yeah uh, th- this this was great because um We've obviously had the uh, Primarchs and the Space Marines treated as like whinging children before, but the, the, this just like leans into it completely. So, <laughs> Lorgar, um, just in the same way that um, magic was banned by the Emperor and the um, the Thousand Sons were sort of censured for this, Lorgar had clearly been censured by the emperor for um moving along the paths to um um, sort of like portraying the emperor as a divine uh personhood and the emperor obviously slapped this down and lorgar being uh, a grown-up with the responsibilities for a murderous legion uh, goes and huffs in his room for a month <laughs> and um being a slightly um goth uh man child uh he starts writing a book but we'll, we'll get to that more and <laughs> we'll get to that um uh yeah i think that is a thing they have got into trouble for but specifically in this case were, were they not or at least the discussion was that they were in trouble for being too slow uh with the approach we've just talked about like they weren't conquering worlds fast enough that's what they said in the debate anyway that's what um, they said but um it was obviously that um Erebus and Corferon were the only ones allowed in to see Lorgar um all the rest of the um the, the captains of the of the different companies weren't allowed in and we know Erebus is a wrongan and we know Corferon <laughs> is as well that um they are the they were heretics before anyone else and so um i I don't i i have a feeling that um that was just a sort of a ploy to say that what in fact uh lorgar was um moaning about and and sad about was that he was like totally slapped down and the sort of reason for his existence was just sort of um redefined by the emperor and he yeah. was just getting over that. And it is worth pointing out that um, in this story, like it's amongst the word bearers, it's out in the open amongst them that they call him the God Emperor and that he should be a deity, um, even though they, they don't, you know, they're not allowed to uh, do that in the context of the Imperium as a whole. Um, yeah. So, and, so, so anyway, uh, I, sorry. I, I, no, I just think... Um, I wonder if this is a a slight difference in us in that in that month where Lorgar is sort of um, hiding himself away from his legion, and and the the author says this that like um, the the legion discipline is falling apart, like a, a month away, 
from there. Well, not even away. Like, they do get word from him. He's just locked in his room. But a month away from his presence, this group of space marines are, like, falling to pieces. It's it's really pathetic. But anyway, what I think is happening in there is not just the writing of a book, but is um, Erebus getting in Lorgar's ear and just saying, well, I'll tell you what, I mean... If he doesn't want to be followed, well, I've got this other group of uh, <laughs> of of four deities, and they're really they're really great, and they'll accept your uh, worship and um, give you. They'll maybe even turn you into like some sort of snake monster as well. <laughs> and if, if you're lucky, if, if he's if he's not keen about that, then you can be a walking plague monster, and <laughs> if not that, then you can be a sort of um, uh, a, a sort of multi-sex orgy creature. And if not that, then you can be a sort of ill-defined demon of Zinch. I don't know if we've met one of those, and I don't really know if I could uh, I, I could understand one anyway. I think some of them fire in discs, which is pretty sweet. In yeah, discs, but, you say? Uh, one of them, <laughs> and one of them is like a giant bird. Um, but anyway, that's a little bit off track. The point is, he's got options. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, But one thing I thought was funny here uh, was... Sortalgrin. So, like when, when Warger reveals that the Emperor has sort of censured the Legion for ostensibly for not being fast enough, and like in in their pursuit of the Great Crusade or whatever, um, Sortalgrin, like he, so the story is from his point of view, and he kind of like he like uh, 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 uh sort of just for a second, I thought of um. I thought of criticism of the emperor flits across his mind, and he kind <laughs> yeah. of, and he kind of makes a mental note to like chastise himself, like like just to meditate and chastise himself for a week or something, and yeah. <laughs> when he gets a chance, to, yeah. Like, and if, like that happens to him a few times, where like um, the 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 mere existence of a slight question in his head is is immediately stamped down upon and he like plans a good flagellating to to whip that out of himself so so they decide that they're gonna go with the uh genocide route on this planet brave um uh, <laughs> and they um and sort algorand's like very quickly adjusts his mindset to that plan um and is like i'm just a soldier whatever i'll do what i'm told um and yeah that's something i want to get once they get down to the planet i want to get back to that um but yeah basically the the main root of the genocide is a complete destruction of the planet from orbit except one city which has a special bubble shield (laughs) (laughs) which um is not new to sci-fi fans i don't (laughs) i think it's fair to say yeah they've got uh um 20 kilometer bubble shield over a palace that is also this there's like very few buildings that aren't the size of a city in this these books it sometimes seems (laughs) that's very true (laughs) it's a palace the size of a city uh that this bubble shield sits over and um they go down to attack it um and he is leading a uh his troops uh on like jetpack things jump packs or whatever um and they fly down to the planet to start the attack um and this whole middle section of the story 
was like, I don't know, to, to me it was just an example of like, just feeling that you need to have a big action segment. We're actually like the point of the story. It was nothing to do with it, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it, it's um, it was all it it's it was battle done on jetpacks, and it was it was crap. Like there, there are no sort of human fighters. They're fighting robotic three legged defender robots. AI. Oh yeah, co- they were called constructs, and I I constructs. sort of was thinking um, War of the Worlds. Yep, in my head with this, yeah, um, and but slightly more humanoid in their top half, I think, um, but yeah, so even when they're down on the planet, um, Sol uh, Talgron is um is sort of thinking to himself about, you know, we could be we could be accepting these people in, into humanity. Isn't that our purpose to, you know, spread the, the good news of the uh, material uh, of the Imperium. And until he sees one of these simple robot fighters and he goes, Oh, they're artificial intelligences. And then he goes, no, we're absolutely right to destroy every single piece of this culture. So it, it, it doesn't last long. This sort of, um, um by verification of his purpose you know <laughs> he is um he is all in on the genocide after very little and uh it 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 sort of destroyed what could have been a good character development or just a good character in general cuz um he just turns into one of the same people that we get all the time yeah um I mean, I've got a, a, a point to make at the end about his character, but anyway, so this whole battle sequence, it doesn't really need to be there other than that's just what the are. <laughs> Wait till we get to book two or <laughs> story two of this part, because fucking hell. Like, we've, we've talked about editing before, and both of these stories could have been... This one could have been half as long. Uh, the next one could have been maybe three quarters shorter. Like, yeah. uh, it's. I I think I I think it was with um. Who did, Mad Max, George Miller, I think I was I heard an interview with him and he was talking about, um, I might have made this point before. He was talking about um the need to tell a story through action scenes in action movies, and that was part of the reason why. Fury Road was so great was because there was um it didn't it didn't stop the action in order to like have people talking and explain the story <laughs> and then have an action scene. Um yeah. the the action was the story. The action yeah, was told is, in the story. Which is absolutely not the case in in this story. Absolutely um, not. Um so like there's a big action bit and then so basically they make it into Sort Algren makes it into this uh, thing protected by the bubble, and to get right into the heart of it, into uh, whatever. And and Will, Will is skipping over most of the book in that part, <laughs> and he's right too because this is uh, the, it's a battle. They get into the thing. It doesn't matter yes. how it does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. They fight a lot of robots, um, and they get in and. They, um, so they they finally find some humans, yeah, um, who are all 
uh, sort of collected in this, or there's a lot of them in this building, like just hiding out, I guess. And they're they're sort of buying down to a, a central figure um, who is clearly their religious leader. Um, and yes, this really re- this religious leader is a sort of hunched, wizened old man. Yes, he has a staff. <laughs> of course, he has a staff. <laughs> um, and uh, whenever I uh, I read that, I was like, "Oh, interesting." I think he's gonna maybe uh, teach some of these Astartes a few lessons before being slaughtered. That's what I thought. <laughs> Let's see if I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it turns out that they are worshiping the emperor. Yes. Um, and Sol uh, Talgron thinks to himself, whoa, this is, I mean, obviously this is sort of a representation of what the word bearers want in, uh, in a group of people. Um, although they know that it's kind of not quite the done thing for humans to be so quite upfront about worshiping the emperor. So he voxes to, um, his ship or well, the, um, the, the man sort of presses a button or something and uh, shows this sort of illuminated version of the Lectitio Divinitatis, the, the book of the worship of the emperor. And we find out that that was actually written by Lorgar in the past. That is That was new to me, was that? Yeah, that was new. That yeah. was new to me as well, yeah. Um, which is an, a, a, an interesting point, I guess, but, you know, I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and the, the man says... Uh, the the religious leader says, so long as you guarantee the people of this planet's safety, um, we will deactivate the shield and we'll get to talking. And they do that, and then instantly, like a hundred warriors teleport down with Lorgar, and they have a conversation. And so just, I mean, just has to be said. That really is the height of reasonableness from reasonableness from that religious leader. They've had ninety eight percent of their population <laughs> wiped out, yep. by an aerial bombardment, and uh, some might say a little bit trusting. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, as long as you can guarantee your safety, I mean, their track record is not great." <laughs> exactly, and and then one he says something like, "I swear it," and everyone just goes. Oh, what a relief. Oh, my God. Because we were worried there. Because um, I don't know if you saw outside. There's a big, like, group of people melted together um, because of what you did. But I feel I feel really safe. I feel secure I know, now. Basically, our planet no longer exists except for this 20-kilometer radius bit under this bubble. But, I mean, I guess, like, at that stage... I mean, he, but he, like the whole conversation with this guy, he seemed to be operating from a kind of position of like strength. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, but anyway, that's by the by. Anyway, he, so yeah, they're like, so in a sense, they're being like the model what they would want yes. a human population they encounter to be, like just uh, agreeing to become part of the Imperium. And then what happens? Well, then a, 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 a drawn out conversation between Sol Talgron and Lorgar about about loyalty and about 
what Corferon has been doing up in his bedroom for the past month. Um, he says that the Lectitio Divinitatis, which Sol Talgren says is his masterpiece, uh, Lorgar says that's uh, nothing. It's worth nothing, has no value. For the past month, he's been writing a book. So that's, that's an entire four weeks of work he's been putting into that world. And he's, he's knocked out the basis for an entire religious faith. So um, he, he says he's written a book called The Book of Lorgar. And fair enough to him, he does say it's a bit big-headed of me to call it that. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, I was like, that doesn't absolve you of anything, mate. The fact that you know it makes it worse. <laughs> he's like, he's like, if you thought Lactitio Divinitatis was a bad title, <laughs> yeah. wait till you hear this. Wait till you hear the pomposity of what I've got planned. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been like, me, it, you, you you don't get off the hook by this. It's it's you called the book after yourself. And anyway, basically, like, is that what? Yeah. I was just gonna say, he's like, is that just a working title? Yeah, and like, no, that's a... <laughs> yeah. I bet you, I bet he was like that. I'll probably change it. Like, I, I won't call it that unless you like it. Uh, do you think it works? I mean, I'm not sure if it works. It, I mean, it's got heft. It's definitely, it's definitely like good <laughs> but i don't know you know i'm, I'm uh, anyway we'll leave it at that until you read it um but anyway yeah so um he kills them all uh all the people and saltalgren is like what i uh, uh, and the 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 arguing round of saltalgren took about i don't know two lines lorgar puts his arm around him and says do you trust me and uh, Sol Tarwan goes, well, yes. And he goes, okay, well, I needed to do that. That's the, it's the emperor's fault. Um, he needs us to do this and blame him. He, like, he basically just said, he says something to the effect of, will you follow me no matter what? And Sol Tarwan's like, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pretty like, I think I feel you're coming at this with a critical air, and I and I agree with you because it's yeah, it's just like a matter of minutes. He's turned around from all his like whatever uh, his conscience had been telling him before. However, what I will say is, at the very least, this is a depiction of a character who is at least nuanced in the sense that he's someone who is essentially going to follow his Primarch into the heresy, but has some reservations about it. Whereas in the past, we've generally had like uh, really noble space marines that uh, you just know would never go in for this kind of thing. Or a character who I can't believe we neglected to discuss about in our discussion of the favourite characters of the year, um, such as Grolgor, who <laughs> um, it's just like, absolutely itching for yeah. uh demonic status you know and like um so at the very least i'm not saying it was well done but i'm saying at the very least here was an attempt at showing that some people might have gone the way of the heresy in a kind of reluctant fair fashion. enough i mean no I'll, I'll definitely i'll definitely go with you on that one although i would say that 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 will only matter if further on down the line that is developed in some way and isn't just immediately stamped out as um you know just some like forgotten uh piece of nuance that gets just overridden by 
a space marine going, can I get some bat wings? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> which Coming around, yeah. It's just the guy going around saying, I'm taking mutation orders, so what's everyone after? Uh, can I get a humped back and like a, a little uh, demon living in the hump, singing little songs? Um, but yeah, no, I, it's there was a, a sort of a pregnant line at the end of this where um, Lorgar puts his arm around him and sort of leads him off and just goes, so uh, tell me what you know about the old beliefs of Colchis, their old planet. And that's going to mean something at some point that presumably yeah. their old beliefs are like fully chaos. Like, <laughs> um, But well, you know, more to see this story was all right. It, the start I thought was really good. Middle part could have just been completely cut out altogether. End yeah. part again, just people talking. Um, and like I like I like stories by people talking, but uh, the, these don't really do them all that well. And um, disappointing, let's say. But there there are bits of it that were good. Yeah, I mean, what, like when it started off with the. War bears. I thought, oh, this will be fun, but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great. Um, but because of that, I mean, it was okay. But like you say, but that middle bit just it was just seemed a bit strange. It just seemed sort of. I mean, you expect that there's going to be a bit of action in it, but it just sort of seemed weirdly unrelated to the rest of the stuff that went on. Well, um, I mean, I I think the next story that we'll get into is more guilty of it. Maybe just because it's longer, but um, I kind of thought that these these two stories in particular more so than the last two didn't feel like short stories they just felt like a bits excised from a normal book you know those those bits that we are talking about that could have been cut out could have just been cut from uh, a chapter in a book and then just yeah. sort of topped and tailed with uh, a very curt intro and a very short ending and you know bang that's a short story they didn't really have the pacing and i i'm almost sort of learning this as i um as i read these books is that pacing in short stories is almost more important than in a novel because you've just got less time and that that um sort of emphasizes bad pacing and we had a good start to this. We had a lot of um, stuff happening and it was going well. And then the battle scene, which took them forever to get into the palace while unfolding no plot, no narrative, no character development. And then a bit on the end, which finished the story. And it, I don't know, it just felt, it, it fell all over the place, really. Yeah, I think you're right. Like it does. Like the story is actually just the start and end. The basically the conversations at the start and end are the story, yeah. and then like the the middle segment, like yeah, it just seems like a random bit of action that could have been part of a bigger book somewhere else in the series. Yeah, and uh, and what I don't, what I never want from any book or story or or you know piece of culture is that it be nothing but. Uh, you know, lore filler or, you know, he, here we're going to reveal a little piece of interest for you. Now, it's interesting that Lorgar wrote the Lectitio Divinitatis. So he wrote the Book of Lorgar and the Lectitio, the, the source material for two ultra-conflicting religions. That's really interesting, but that isn't enough. Like, 
it should be internally coherent as a story and not just um, an overly written Wikipedia article. And that's kind of what this felt like it was close to being. So uh, the next story um, is... The Voice. The Voice. The Voice. This was by James Swallow, who was also the writer of uh, The Fight of the Eisenstein, which I think was the fourth book. That's, oh, yeah, okay. So he's he's sticking to his material. Like, he he's confident about his own stuff, isn't he? Yeah, so this is like almost a kind of mini-sequel to... It, well, not really a sequel, but it's like a... It's An falling offshoot. on yeah, from... Yeah, yeah. Spin-off, yeah, from... Um, from the flight of the Eisenstein, it picks up after that. So, it, and the focus of this story is the Sisters of Silence, um, who featured particularly towards the end of Flight of the Eisenstein, where their uh, kind of base on the moon was the. Uh, <laughs> no, there's, for, no, there's nothing funny about that apart from <laughs> apart from the literalness of it. <laughs> there uh, was the setting for the uh, sort of finale of that story where Garrow uh, was fighting oh sorry straight arrow Garrow straight arrow Garrow (laughs) was fighting one of uh, his former colleagues who had turned into a big monster Um, and uh, they remembered this yeah they remembered this and it was it was stressing them out a bit Um, and And like uh, I, I think I said during that book I was like god these could be the source of a really good story. These sisters of silence. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> I was well, wrong. They could everyone. be. They could they be. Could be. Might... They could be. It, the, the first line of this book is "In silence, only truth remains." And I think I said I lied. I'll get the fuck out of here with this shit. Because that's. <laughs> but you know, you read on, and yeah, like almost in the next line, it is explained, and it is. That's a sort of. Um, a line that gets sort of fed to the novices of the sisterhood that sounds profound, but obviously isn't quite able to be defined in any good way. So could be the source of some like pseudo-religious bullshit. And it is. Um, <laughs> but we do learn a bit about sister the sisterhood that is interesting, that makes me want a better story than this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... It sounds like you really thought really didn't like this story, and I I thought it was like the last one, kind of a bit all over the place. But I didn't think it was maybe I don't, I don't seem to have disliked it as much as you did. But I, I, um, the middle bit was just so long and boring. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I've got a funny story about that. But um, we'll <laughs> we'll uh, so so anyway, the, the, what's specifically going on here? We start off with um, we start off kind of from the point of view of. A novice sister of silence called Leilani Molitas, who, uh, so she's because she's still a novice, she's still allowed to speak. Does um, that that infuriated me? And uh, we also have Emendara Kendall, who was from. She was in this, the the Eisenstein. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in that, and then we have kind of a relatively. Some nobodies. Significant, a pretty insignificant character in is kind of like someone of middle status between those two levels, I guess. Emendara Kendall is like a void knight, I think they call her. Um, an oblivion and, knight, which is a, a oblivion terrific knight. term. 
And uh, this other one, whose name I forget, it was uh, she was called a no maiden, and she was like, uh, <laughs> said she was the second to Kendall, basically. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, so uh, yeah, Lorani is getting kind of she's having a conversation with uh, Kendall at the beginning because she's sort of like she's finding it hard to take the the um the news of the heresy happening which you know now that i think about it the fact that someone's actually having some you know some worries about this is yeah <laughs> a bit of a refreshing change from often people just snap straight into the new state of affairs without like uh, without you, a second you're, thought. you're totally right and and i realized that up until this book or this short story um nobody had any real problems like the the most problems that anybody had was like it caused them to gasp you know <laughs> like they learn of the heresy and they gasped out loud but oh. then they get right down to like accepting it but to be fair like i suppose there usually is a few paragraphs of space marines like garrow or whoever being all shocked and upset but like the writer's probably itching to get on to the violence you yeah know? so uh, they're just like oh i'll get these paragraphs written and then off we go you know they're all fighting and just it, but as a reader the change seems to come about very quickly for something that is you know flagged up as being so monumental and you know unexpected and almost unbelievable that it could even happen uh-huh. but yeah so to, to see someone reflecting on it quietly was kind of (laughs) and like extrapolating from it as well because leilani's like well you know they they are kin to the emperor the the primarchs and the space marines and if they can be touched by this like who else can we can everybody can and it's all just like spinning out of control for her Uh, and she's talking to her um uh the the person who's sort of taking her through her uh, novitiatehood is that a word there uh something like that yeah, yeah. something um, like that and and it's clear that um Amadera Kendall is also troubled by it but is just slightly better at controlling it has more experience that kind of thing <laughs> but she is giving her enough room to explore all the different possibilities and to to tell her how she's coping with it and not just saying oh faith get over it it was good yeah and um yeah it just occurred to me that <laughs> as we've already alluded to in discussing the last story people obviously do reflect on things but usually we just get told they've gone into our like a isolation chamber for a month <laughs> yes yes they've gone into yeah. their dedicated reflection cell <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, though, they are in a reflection cell while doing this. So, um, <laughs> so maybe maybe we're giving them too much credit. People can only think in this universe when they're in a dedicated thinking space. Um, <laughs> a funny concept. Yeah. So, um, so Kendall, you might wonder, she's a sister of silence, how is she communicating? We get told about... Um, two forms of communication that uh, they use when they're not able to speak because of their vows of silence and those are called uh the, do you have yeah they're uh, they're called battle mark and thought mark battle mark is a kind of curt 
ultra short. Let's get the main uh, thrusts of uh, a message across. It's used during battle to direct troops um, and, and that kind of thing. Whereas Thought Mark is more nuanced, is used uh, as a just a, a form of conversation and um, is, uh, you know, varies accordingly. And is uh, I, I thought this is a very natural well-described um piece of um piece of color that um although i would have liked it to have been sort of unfurled in the story um it really does add depth to this cult um of the sisterhood and uh yeah so there and where they are sitting having this conversation or what standing i don't know uh there's um <laughs> doesn't seem like you know there'd be comfortable sofas <laughs> reflection room they sat they they were perched one-legged on a spike <laughs> it's like the, the sisters of silence black ships have like costa coffees <laughs> and various other franchises are successful throughout the imperium but no um uh no they are uh they're on a black ship, right? Which is um, one of their Sisters of Silence ship, I guess, which I uh, can't remember all the exact details of this. Basically, they go around the Imperium going to different planets and uh, collecting, picking up all the people that are psychers. Um, they, they are um, called, they're said to be tithes. Every loyal nation every year um has to tithe so many psychers uh, to the imperium that are picked up by these black ships and they are tested while on there um those that aren't sort of strong enough or aren't fit enough to be able to pass the tests are <laughs> incinerated and those that are too crazy or too powerful to control are also done away with leaving this sort of middle band that um, become the basis for the astrotelepathica. They are the um, the means by which uh, messages are sent and received on the battleships uh, uh, strewn throughout the, the uh, Imperium. And we, we should point out, actually, that I don't think we've said that that's the entire like, speciality of the Sisters of Silence is like, combating psychic... Uh, power oh I yeah guess. that's right because yeah. because they they are selected for the system of silence on the basis of being uh just like genetically having a resistance to psychic power um i can't remember what they call that they, uh, they call it the pariah gene that's what they call yeah it. and um, and the, the, there is more to explore here in a different story uh i can i, I know why they didn't do it in this one because it's just about different things but um it it's it's very interesting that they are taken away from their families uh, and indoctrinated into the sisterhood and their sole purpose is to go and take other children away from their families and um, do something similar to them. It's just that they are considered worthwhile and the others are considered heretical. Do you know, like, it did make me think when they're describing this bit, it's like, 
a really could like a really interesting thought of like all these different planets spread spread around the galaxy having like different cultures of witchcraft and different explanations for like what the psychers are i thought mm-hmm. that was like uh, that is just like that was pretty interesting or just to think of that is pretty interesting but um uh yeah so they uh so that's the what's going on in the ship but they have received notice of another black ship that has gone silent uh like basically it's gone dark they're not getting any signals from it and they um, yeah they they've missed uh, a number of uh tithe pickups um and because of their the nature of what they do they sort of go around in in silence and they um don't tell anyone where they're going to be and they go around as sort of solo ships so it's not impossible for this to happen but obviously because of the nature of their cargo it's called cargo um being so dangerous that um every lost ship has to be investigated and so uh they are redirected from their mission of of picking up their tithes to go and investigate where the ship has gone and and what's happened to it so they 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 find the ship they... <laughs> instantly they find it they don't <laughs> no, that's they... Right. they don't even look for it they just like the the start of the next paragraph is they find it in the warp <laughs> like okay well that's like, fine you know yeah i just assumed they were like the story begins when they were like they'd basically found it already and they were there and then they they go over to um using teleportation um and uh from this point on the story was very reminiscent of the um audio drama that we yes yes totally uh yeah we discussed on a previous um podcast a, a special episode um called the way, a way out i think it was called or the way out and um it was it was specifically in the sort of relatively new thing of black library having a warhammer horror brand sort of within their um portfolio and uh that didn't exist as far as i'm aware at this point but that is kind of um that is yeah kind of small small group of people uh move excuse me moving through a um spooky ship and it's kind of like it's kind of yeah it's almost like a sci-fi horror uh setup that kind of goes all the way back to like alien and possibly before you know that's like there's a signal mysterious signal from a planet they go down to investigate creepy shit happens you know um ghost like um mansion in space type of yeah. scenario um but um they do get a signal don't they, they get uh, a voice sort of broadcast from the I can't remember how. It's oh yeah, out. that's right. That's the the thing that they get, and it it seems they're not quite sure, but it sounds like one of the sisters of silence who vow to never speak. Uh, it sounds like one of their number, um, just uh, making this uh, transmission um, on an open signal, saying the voice, the voice. Yeah. So they, <clears throat> so they go over it, and right, this is the bit uh, I think you're critical of yeah this this is the start of the bit that i don't like and i I do think it just it went on 
for too long without developing the story. <laughs> I must admit, when I listened to the story around this point, like I almost fell asleep because the <laughs> the voice of the person reading it, I was like in that kind of half asleep, half awake state. The voice of the person reading it was quite relaxing. And I was lying back, listening to it. I almost fell asleep, right? And then, so you're going to have to tell me something about oh, that. I think I heard here. Yeah. Did they? Did they kill a dog? Yes. That, well, <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, unfortunately, I've got some notes on this, but they all end in question marks because I'd hoped that you would be the one to explain them. <laughs> so, um, th- there are hunting animals on board. I wanted right. to know why there might be hunt- hunting animals on board. There was a falcon. There was a there was a dog with glass um valves implanted in its back. What? Don't know don't know why. Don't know what they were for. Um don't know why the Sisters of Silence would need those, but um that's fine. Um so they deal they deal with some of these animals. Um not not too much to say about that because I don't think any of us can say any more about it. And then they start finding some like really quite horrifying shit. They find a crew surf who um, had managed to crucify himself, which I don't know, like in the sort of litany of, of horrible shit that happens in this book, in these books, it's often easy to just sort of uh, breeze past some some of the horrible shit that goes on. The, the idea of somebody um, crucifying themselves is um, unpleasant and I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, they move past that and there are like rooms of bodies piled up and uh, it's yeah it's pretty nasty yeah there's just a whole lot of horrific shit here like there's people that have hung themselves um that that, uh, that was good they, they go to um the the room of the astropaths in this ship um and they for some reason like um an anti-gravity floating pod experience to live in and um the gravity had been shut off by the astropaths themselves um so that they could hang themselves and the ugh, the idea of like that going through somebody's mind the sort of nuts and bolts of having to disable gravity in order to be able you know to think that you need the force of gravity to hang yourself is horrible and um I suppose at this bit, I, at this point, I was, I was saying this is effective horror writing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, but it just there was quite a bit of it, and I'm just thinking with the dogs and hunting animals, is it like, is that like, do they use them when tracking down like psychers on planets or something? Uh, I, I mean, maybe, but are they just going to help against psychers like a dog? Well, if you put some vials of liquid on it. True, back. true. I forgot about the vials. <laughs> Those were unexplained and therefore could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> but we get. Um, I, I want to talk about this this bit in the story, which I, um, is, I think, a, a profound example of the failure of this story. Was um, they go to? I can't remember where it is in the ship, but they they get a lo- lot of information from the logs the recorded logs of the shipmaster and um that that tells them that they um they were attacked by like a sort of poisoned astropathic assault um which sent some people mad and allowed the uh the the cargo the full 
complement of psychers on board to sort of like to get out basically and um the second message said that they started acting together they started acting as one rather than as you know just a, a bunch of random crazy people and i just thought this the fact that they're getting recorded ship's logs to explain the story is i mean that's they're basically audio logs in a video game which yeah. i i hate just such a terrible storytelling Ex- exactly and we've got the sisters of silence who shouldn't talk and so they've gone so far as to build this um silent language they have which is really interesting and yet in order to tell the story they have to give them a person who talks and I'm just uh, I just thought that that there's no point in that there's no there's no point in doing a sisters of silence story if if you if you need to give them a proxy by which they speak through and then to have yeah. these spoken audio logs at the start and then a talky bit at the end um it's it, I don't know it just it doesn't work it's, well, I guess at the least it's not really sort of playing to the strengths of this subject matter. I totally, guess, you know, totally. Where... That's exactly what I mean, yeah. Um, so, anyhow, there's a the encounter a dude who's conjuring up snow. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> that they recognise as a cryokine, as a particular type of psyker. They must have been um, absolutely shitting themselves at that. <laughs> they were a so then, walking snowman coming towards them. <laughs> So, so he, um, I think there's a bit of conversation, but then he attacks them and gets decapitated. Uh, no problem. And, and then they, uh, so they find this. They then encounter um, someone who Kendall knows, who's like an old rival kind of thing that from the Sisters of Silence. Yeah. She's on there. And I should say, like, I'm not sure exactly when it is, but they encounter a bunch of people going around here, like, they say are not dead, but they're kind of like... Glassy-eyed, doll-eyed nobodies. Yeah, they just stopped moving. They're not animate, but they're not dead, sort of. Um, And uh, so then... Yeah, this person that they uh, encounter is um, the the sort of the the equal of... um, What's her name? Her Kendall. Kendall. She's sort of her equal on this ship. She is the head sister of silence. She's called her her keys. Um uh it's H E R K A A Z E. Um her keys or her Kaze, not quite sure. Um and she's there and she says that uh whenever the psychers got out that there was really only one way to uh only one thing to do was to surround them and to use their uh, null maiden uh, anti-witchcraft powers to just contain them uh, with the hope that somebody would arrive. And now that three people have arrived, that's enough to go straight in and get stuck in sword-wise. So she's, yeah, she's kind of holding back like, well, it's like you said, like a psychic amalgam. They've all kind of all these psychers have sort of joined together and um but then so they leave like the the one who's the second to um kendall she stays back to like maintain that shield or something mm-hmm. and 
Kendall, Lilani, and her Kaz uh, go in to fight uh, fight them, I guess. And um, in the end, point, have a good conversation with them. Yeah, I mean, there is a fight here at some point uh, where there's a lot of ghosts flying <sighs> around, yeah. and there's some there's some like people or some physical, you know, manifestations or or. I guess people that have psychers that have been brought into this ghostly miasma or whatever <laughs> um, is, um, and there was like there was the phrase in terms of creative descriptions of gore. Um, there was a, a the phrase used when one of these things got dispatched by one of the sisters of silence that aerosols of crimson sprayed. <laughs> That's good. That's terrific. I missed that one. <laughs> um, anyhow, so yeah, what's this final conversation that where we end up at? Well, yeah, they um, and it, I would say it's more of a a melange rather than a miasma because I would say like <laughs> it's physical. It's it's not That's true. You know, it's not a gas and, and a miasma is more a liquid or gas. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it surrounds you, whereas this is just uh, things that have been mashed together sort of indeed but we do need uh, a word a sci-fi word for it and um, (laughs) melange is good enough (laughs) okay um we'll rip from frank herbert for that one the the word they use is gestalt oh that's right (laughs) from old germani (laughs) oh yeah jesus um um anyway yes so they they have a, a combo with this um with this sort of mass of a human thing and um it it says that it it actually isn't from chaos um it is a, a messenger with a message that um has been sent back uh a hundred years maybe 200 years um in order to provide them with some information to, to cease the um the the horror that will occur um, that causes hundreds of years of constant warfare and destruction, and that they need to take it to the emperor in order to, you know, pass on this information. Um, the sisters, well, this new sister, Hakaz, um, doesn't agree and starts slicing up individual members of this body thing. Um, but they sort of resolve to have Leilani's face and it's clear that it is Leilani in the future who is sending this message and she says that she has done so much horrible shit she's like um, she would pay any price and has paid any price in order to be able to send this message back Um, and her teacher um, Kendall is sort of slightly more accepting and you know says like so what what is it that you need to tell us uh and her obviously the the chief zealot um stabs leilani through the back in her younger form uh so that she can't she dies so that she can't uh grow old enough to send this message back through time it's a very very simple time travel gimmick but like it's it's emphasized at some point anyway. This is just a possible 
like future i guess of i'm sure i can't remember who says that or how they know that but i'm sure it's sort of said that that's just one way that it could be Lilani, but um that she could turn out that that situation could arise but not necessarily but um but yeah anyway uh her isn't isn't worried about the nuance no um and kills Lilani, and then everything just kind of narratively kind of blows up at that point <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, just kind of like I, I can't remember specifically what actually happens in the physical world of the book, but um, well, the, they, they, the the gestalt kind of fades away because it was never created, and the 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 psychic uproar, blah 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 blah, starts destroying the ship, and um, how. Kendall gets back is not important, but she's injured and finds herself in one of those um, uh, goo pod things that help heal very bad wounds. And in comes her cars. These are the only two left over from the rest of the story. And for some reason, maybe you, maybe I missed something clear her cas starts speaking she's totally cool with speaking now and starts uh giving uh kendall the verbal business she just starts laying into her um about all the reasons why she doesn't like her and uh kendall sort of just goes oh, we could have learned something we could have we could have stopped hundreds of years of war and her cas says she says that um, she's she follows the god emperor, and if there if war is to be made, then it is the emperor's bidding because the emperor only the emperor should have the ability to travel through time or whatever, and that was it. And I I don't I don't get it. I don't know why she speaks. I like yeah. I almost thought at one point that because she says. She's like, oh, the only people that will ever know, I, you know, no one will ever know I spoke. And I kind of thought she was saying she was going to kill uh, Kendall. Yeah. Uh, and that's what she meant by that. But I don't think, I can't actually remember specifically how it wrapped up here. She, but, she just um, walks out. I mean, she, she's, she's not a chaosy person. She's just an, uh, an ultra zealot for the God Emperor. And, um, um but she's now she's now calling him the God Emperor, is she? I mean, yes, that's... yes, she is a follower of the Lecticio here, obviously. Right. Um, um. So yes, there is that, but um, you know, it that's how it ends. And as I say, um, it it just, it, it, I just thought it went on for far too long. Honestly, it could have been a quarter of the length. Yeah. The story was told in exposition and in logs and through speaking, which shouldn't, just can't be, like, they have this silent language. This group of people are silent, so they've obviously learned to communicate in a silent atmosphere. And so putting somebody who speaks is not necessary and, and kind of undercuts everything. But anyway, I've gone through that point before. There were, I mean, there's some, yeah, I think my overall take on the story would be that there was some interesting bits and pieces in it um and like you say some effective horror writing but it was probably too long um and didn't like you know i think like a good to me a good short story 
based on the four we've read in this setting. <clears throat> well, it's particularly the second one. It just kind of has one base, like one point essentially. Yeah, that it's making, and this <clears throat> didn't. I mean, there's something you know, something about silence and silence be- being inner silence yeah. being um, a source of strength. But yeah, honestly, but- I don't know what changed at this you know what did this story change like what was different at the end of this story than at the start was it that yeah. was it that we know that there are lacticio followers in the sisters of silence cuz yeah they're, they're everywhere we get it um i i don't know i just the start point and the end point of this story seem to be exactly the same and nothing really changed it just seemed yeah, very inessential. Yeah, um, and and yeah. what we've said here is that I would have cut out probably more than I think you would have done, but we've both mentioned that we would have cut these books, and the, the, we normally give Black Library editors a bit of shit, and I think fairly. But this this is a short story collection edited by authors of the Black Library. So it's their fault this time. It's done by <laughs> Nick Kime and Lindsay Priestley, although I don't know who Lindsay, Lindsay Priestley is. Um, I mean, fair enough. Editing a collection of short stories is, is different from editing the actual text. I'm sure uh, they didn't probably get stuck into the text of different authors' work. But maybe they did. I'm not quite sure about that. Well, yeah, I, I wonder how that works. Because presumably, yeah, the, presumably the books are still edited in the standard way after the stories have been brought together i don't know like, you know what i mean like the the editing in terms of being the ones that are ascribed these kind of editorship on the front of the book may be a different thing than like oh d- definitely uh, in in the terms of uh collections of, of stories like these uh nick kyle lindsey Priestley would have been i think um setting a the overarching thread for which all the stories um have to sort of at least tangentially touch on and then getting these other authors on board and getting their stories collected and stuff like that. The yeah. actual nuts and bolts of telling those stories within an individual short story and guessing is probably still done by, you know, Black Library staff editors. And in, if that's the case, then, you know, we're still dealing with the same thing. Although... I think it's fair to point out, I don't think, we've given the editors a ton of shit. I don't think it's their fault. I think it's, they just aren't given enough time and resources to do the job that they should do. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, the volume of stuff they're clearly having to get through, if you look at the release schedule of the Black Library, is, like, immense um so it's so we we sort of laugh at it and i yeah i just hope it doesn't come across mean-spiritedly because it's um uh, it's meant in jest and um we know that it's an impossible task to adequately edit um the output of an organization who put out like dozens of novels and collections of short stories and uh audiobooks and uh, audio dramas and all this kind of stuff it's just an impossible task and I, I sort of respect the fact that they're just like just get it out the door print the, print me up a new book you know 
Knock out a new book in a couple of weeks. Get it on the shelves. Get that shit on the shelves. They're reading this shit. Just get them reading more shit. Um, I just, I kind of respect that as a, um, a kind of counterpoint to the normal world of of uh, novels and literature and stuff, which is a, a much more. Yes, I spent three years on this book, uh, a year and a half. Uh, researching just uh, in the British Library just researching 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 and then I spent a year of my life um, writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it and then I spent uh, another six months just talking with my editor improving drafting shaping the message uh, whereas the Black Library are just like get it on the fucking shelves more words (laughs) more more words Uh, I just kind of like it I know this is the person, the imaginary author you've just uh, been uh, describing. There, the, you know, they're they're giving that speech in the cafe at the British Library yes. to Dan Abnett, and Dan Abnett's like, "I've released eight books in that time." Like, <laughs> Indeed, I'm writing one as I speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> just done a chapter while speaking to you. Um, you say this is the British Library. I've never been here before. <laughs> Oh yeah. Anyway, right. um, I don't know. I, I I didn't like these two stories, but I got something from each of them. Um, yeah. And did enjoy did enjoy the process of of sort of going through them and sort of uh, straightening out what I thought about them. So um, didn't leave me as unhappy as some of the uh, shitty novels that we've read. So yeah, I I do in general like the short story format uh, for for this setting. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next three are like. Um, but yeah, cool. Well, we'll be discussing those next three in the next episode. Then we'll be back to uh, novels and it's Dark Angels. I think we're back to them. Oh, nice. The I like them. That that was my favorite book. I think the Dark Angels. So I look forward to. Also, it was the the books written by. Uh, Mike Lee, who did the story that we liked in this collection, so that bodes well. Also, the the one, the second one we covered last time about yeah. the um, space pools. Oh yeah, Wolf at the Door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Okay, that's that's great. I look forward to that. Are we are we doing another recording before we do the special episode in person live? Well, not live. God, uh, I. Don't, I don't know so. how the dates no, no, line up. I will be, yeah, it will be like two weeks from now that I'm coming down to London. Uh, it's literally two weeks from today. and So, so we'll need to record would... something uh, before that and then we'll get out those uh, bonus episodes that we, whatever we do. I've got ideas yeah. for those. Right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And if you would like to get in touch... Um, you can email us at horusheretics at gmail.com uh, but yeah thanks thanks for listening and uh, we'll we'll be back in a couple of weeks speak soon see ya